When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of Audio Judo. I'm Matthew. I'm Kyle. How's everybody doing out there? We are uh, proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Still taking recommendations for the best albums of 2020, so don't be shy. Let us know what you like. Yeah. What albums your favorite band released last year? Get it on the list. Our calendar is pretty full, but we are always looking for new stuff to fill in some of the gaps later in the year, so let us know. Please do. Kyle goes off the grid again Yep, for his next choice. I picked the most melancholy, sad, depressing breakup album. Son of a bitch. And of course, the timing worked out just great. So it was, we were uh, like on the most stressful, uh, worrisome week of the entire year of the worst year of our lives. We are recording this on the Friday after the presidential election in November. Uh, yeah. We really don't know at this point yet what exactly has happened. So <laughs> hopefully when you listen to this in January or February, we will have a better idea, yes. God willing. But right now, we don't know. Um, and uh, if we don't have a better idea and uh, the entire country has fallen into anarchy, uh, good luck out there, everybody. Yeah, everybody. Uh, good luck. Uh, remember that killer be killed. <laughs> What are we we are talking about the album Sea Change by Beck. Holy cow. This album by Beck is like I said, a melancholy, sad, depressing, but also possibly one of his best albums. Uh comparatively speaking, it's one of his lesser known works, uh only going only going gold, reaching mm. number 8 on the Billboard 200. Uh in relation to his other work, it, it is a bit of a step down Commercially speaking, uh, and it seemed to definitely appeal to a different audience than his other more quirky and pop-friendly material. Yeah. Uh, so, Kyle, what was the motivation behind picking this record? Honestly, it had been a really long time since I listened to this album. And the first time I heard it, maybe 10-ish years ago now, it really, really spoke to me. I don't know why at the time I was just in a maybe the right place for it or whatever. I was like, wow, that's a really good album. And then honestly, I never really listened to it again. I just mm. kind of, it was one of those albums where I was like, oh, I should listen to that. And then I was like, mm, but it's so sad and depressing. <laughs> and uh, I just never really got back around to it. So when I was picking albums for uh, episodes, I, I thought, you know what? We should, we should, I should pick it and we should listen to it and talk about it because I remembered it being really good. Mm hmm. And then when I started researching it and I was like, oh, yeah, actually, other people thought it was pretty good, too. That huh. is true. Maybe I do have good taste. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Maybe uh, accidents happen. Let's give a little background. Uh, Beck was born Beck David Campbell in Los Angeles in 1970. That is B-E-K original spelling. Correct. And then he changed it to the 
B-E-C-K later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, his parents are renowned Canadian conductor, composer, and arranger David Campbell, well known for all of his work. Uh, he has credits on over 450 gold and platinum records. Good Lord. Name an artist, and the chances are pretty high that if there were strings on that record, David Campbell had a hand in it. Uh, prolific is the understatement of the year. Beck's mother is Bibby Hansen, who grew up in the Andy Warhol factory in New York in the 1960s and was one of Warhol's superstars. So it's pretty clear that Beck himself grew up in kind of the bohemian artsy lifestyle for a while. Uh, His family would move from New York to L.A. and end up living for a time in relative poverty before his dad's career took off. Uh, His parents separated when he was 10, and he kind of bounced around for a bit, living in Kansas with his grandparents and also living in Europe for a while with one of his grandparents. I think one thing we should talk about uh, before we talk about his music career was how he was raised from a religious point of view, because Mm. it seems to have changed over the years, but it definitely colored his musical landscape. Beck's dad has been a Scientologist for 45 years, and it was widely thought that Beck was a practicing Scientologist as well. Uh, His first wife, uh, Marissa Rabisi, uh, is, and it seemed that he was involved in that to some degree, even confirming it in an interview in uh, 2005. Then in 2019, he filed for divorce for his wife 14 years in an interview later that year. He said, "Uh, I think there's a misconception that I'm a Scientologist. I'm not a Scientologist. I don't have any connection or affiliation with that. He added that I was raised celebrating Jewish holidays and I consider myself Jewish. Hmm. So I only bring this up because of the controversy of the religion and the fact that it's not uncommon for one spouse to disavow their relationship to the church once the marriage ends. Hmm. I kind of have a feeling that there has to be some sort of NDA they sign with the Sea Org. That doesn't Ah. allow them to speak negatively about it once it's over. I find it kind of interesting that he would go out of his way to confirm that he was a part of it and then go out of his way to say he was never a part of it. Interesting. That whole belief system baffles me. But uh, You know, by mentioning them in a piece of media, they're going to be coming after us. Well, I welcome the challenge. Oh, goody. Uh, Kyle, do you uh, you have some information about the early part of his career, perhaps? Not really. No, you don't have no, anything about I, the I mean, I, I stuck pretty ge- generic with uh, his uh, career stuff. Uh, he's kind of a, a genre bender. Uh, yeah. Folk, funk, hip-hop, soul, rock, electronic, alt-rock, country, psychedelia, anti-folk music. Never heard of that before. The anti-folk. The anti-folk. But all told, he has released 14 studio albums. Uh, yes. You have probably heard, if you're listening to this, you've heard Loser or Two Turntables on a Microphone. Or Those are, Devil's Haircut. Or Devil's Haircut. Or uh, what is the, Keonda Guero? Mm. Keonda? From Aguero, the album, there were basically every one of his albums has had maybe not a, a, a smash hit, but a song that gets some pretty good radio play. Sure. I would say Loser is probably the one most people would identify. That was the biggest yes. hit that he had. A uh, slacker kind of, you know, yeah. laid back. And then uh, last year, uh, Hyper Life. Space. Hyper Space. Isn't, isn't the album Hyper Life? I thought it was hyperspace. I could be wrong. Oh, it is hyperspace. I'm sorry. I knew I wrote it down somewhere. Excuse me. Let me start that over again. All right. Go ahead. Sorry, Randy. Uh, Last year, 2019, Hyperspace made my top five albums of the year. It's a pretty good record. It is. And And I say that because, and I will keep repeating this theme, Mm -hmm. it was pretty good. (laughs) It was pretty good. But uh, the song Hyper Life yes. from that album, I think is a fantastic anthem for the year 2020. Oh, oh. It's a great, uh, go uh, give it a listen and uh, see if you agree with me or not, and then let us know. It's true. But uh, why should you give a crap about Beck? I don't know. He's gone platinum four times. So pretty good selling albums. 
2014's uh, Morning Phase won Album of the Year Grammy. 2017's uh, Colors won Best Alt uh, Album Grammy and Best Engineered Album Grammy. Um, Odelay, one of his earlier albums, and Sea mm. Change, the album we're talking about today, are both on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. This one is at uh, number 436. Yes. Um, Up there are ways, but still, 500 out of 5 million. Right. However many albums have been made, that's that's pretty good. And some of his stuff, he's a critical darling. Mm-hmm. Some of his stuff, the, the critics absolutely adore. Yeah. Some they don't, but but a lot of his stuff, they're like, yes, whatever he puts out is just, that's just gold. It's gold, yeah. Jerry. It's gold. So I would not call myself a Beck fan up until this point particular point i knew several of his early records uh most certainly the big hits like loser and devil's haircut and stuff and the like but i was never really kind of bought into his style that the lo-fi sound that he seemed to inhibit was never something i really gravitated to especially the early albums yeah bands like you know bands like the strokes and white stripes were never really my thing i thought they were good but it wasn't something that i sought out uh, this record kind of changed my opinion for a while about back in his music Uh, this record's production was cleaner crisper that lo-fi sound was kind of gone and this is a pretty sad record full of good songwriting so i was kind of a a late beck convert and this is one of the there's two things that i think we need to mention as well about beck basically every one of his albums sounds completely different from every one of his other albums there are overarching themes you know um all of his early albums have sort of this lo-fi aesthetic to them all of his later albums kind of did away with that Almost all of his albums, this being the exception, have a sort of unusual, I don't know what you want to call it, lyrical there are, alphabet? There are ly- exceptions. Lyrical dictionary? There are a couple exceptions on this record that yes. we're going to talk about. But yes, this one seems a little more direct. Yes. And Not I think as that's, esoteric, I believe, is the you know, word. That's a good word for it. And I think that's one of the reasons why it really struck a chord with so many people, is that it was this this artist who was well-known for almost gibberish lyrics up to this point, and yeah. then all of a sudden, here's this sad, melancholy, I keep saying melancholy, but it really is the best word for it, album yeah. with these direct, heart-wrenching lyrics. Correct. And uh, to kind of set the scene for this, he had broken up with his fiance, uh, Lee Lemon, after nine years together. And he he was just in this horrible place. He sat down, he wrote all this music, and then he shelved it, stuck it on a shelf and said, I can't do this right now. It's too much. A little while later, came back to it and said, all right, this is the album we're going to make. And that became Sea Change. Yeah. So Sea Change was released on September 24th, 2002. It was his eighth studio album. It came three years after his very successful Grammy-nominated release, Midnight Vultures, which is an excellent album. Uh, yeah, you were talking about Lee Lyman. Um, I always pronounce it Lee Lemon, and I'll get to circle back around to that here in a minute. But he entered this pretty awful period of melancholy, despair, and heartbreak. He got dumped. His, you know, his, his girlfriend's dating a member of Whiskey Biscuit, which just goes <laughs> on the list of great freaking rock names of bands. But, but I feel sad for him. Uh, so he went into the studio sometime in early 2002 with. Uh, producer uh, Nigel Godrich, and most of this record was recorded live off the floor. Most. I say most. Uh, it's very reflective and quiet for a, a Beck record. And true to the meaning of sea change, uh, being a broad transformation of something that has been around for a while, this is exactly that. It's a very broad transformation of his style. From what I've read, he also loved to change the interpretation of each of these songs when they were performed live, uh, because there was a lot of space in each of them to do something new. So as a result, he fired the touring band he had been going out with for years, and he didn't take any of the session musicians with him on the road. 
<laughs> uh, this kind of gave the songs a freshness and spontaneity almost every night because he could change the arrangements and structures on a whim. And Beck is nothing if not creative and interesting. Uh, my first experience with this record was an interesting one. So when this album was released, I was working with uh, Eminem, and occasionally I would have to run stuff from the studio to the local Warner Brothers office in Detroit. Uh, one day in late September, the guy that ran the studio sent me over to their offices to drop off some contracts. And when I got there, I told them who I was, and they took the contracts, and the lady at the counter was like, you like music? <laughs> and I was like, sure. And she <laughs> said, hold on. So she came back with this stack of CDs, like 20 of them, and said, here, these are for you. And I walked to my car and they were all promo CDs, hmm. uh, the ones that get sent from the studio to the station, to radio stations. And one of those records was this one, Sea Changed. So, so I listened to it on my drive home that evening, which at the time was an hour in one direction, right? And I was floored because I didn't really enjoy his music up until this point, but this is much different. It was vulnerable and quiet. And um, I wish people would give me free stuff like that again, because that was awesome. <laughs> It's a big stack of 20 records. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, how do we get signed up for that uh, that mailing list where they just send you all the promo albums? It was awesome. I mean, technically, we're music uh, journalists. So. Did you say Columbia House? <laughs> uh, producer Randy just suggested Columbia you House. You could get 12 CDs for one penny. Wow, that's a great deal. But it's only $14 shipping. Oh, boy. Per that album. doesn't seem right. Wait. What? So I got one more thing uh, we should probably cover here is uh, you mentioned that sea change uh, obviously denotes a substantial change in perspective uh, or a paradigm shift. Uh, you know where it originally came from? Probably not. Uh, Shakespeare's The Tempest. Oh, uh, I didn't see that somewhere. It designates a change brought about by the action of the sea. Uh, in Act 1, Scene 2, Ferdinand hears Ariel, an airy spirit, sing a song deceiving him into believing that his father, Alonzo, king of Naples, has drowned in a shipwreck. Mm. It goes a little bit like this. Uh, aerial song, full fandom flew, thy father flies. Of the bones are coral made, those are pearls that were his eyes. Nothing of him that doth fade, but doth suffer a sea change into something rich and strange. Sea nymphs hourly ring his knell. I love when you read Shakespeare. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's beautiful. I, always I was so, that, uh, I was really into it too. It was good. I hated Shakespeare in high school because they always made me read what? the funny parts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you have to be uh oh man why i can't think of his name now the big fat dude which big fat dude uh from several of shakespeare's plays oh boy eh, uh, i'll come back to okay it. cover art cover art let's talk about the cover art i'm sure you did some research for this a little bit uh it's a picture of beck yeah uh so first of all i guess we should mention four different covers there are four different covers four different correct. covers but the yeah the the photograph is is the same yes so the, the treatments are the different. same Right. Four different digital treatments. Photograph was taken by Autumn DeWilde. Mm -hmm. A famous photographer. Yep. Uh, the digital work done over the top of each one is uh, by a uh, digital artist named Jeremy Blake. Digital, digital, digital. Yeah. How many more times can I get the word digital in here? Digital artist. Digital artist. Who, uh, I don't even want to go over his sad story. I do. It's gonna, okay, let's uh, talk about it a little bit then. Jeremy Blake, a very dynamic digital artist. He had success at an early age. He did the hallucination scenes in Punch Drunk Love, mm -hmm. Adam Sandler movie. And he was the boyfriend of game designer and filmmaker Teresa Duncan. They were based out of L.A., but in 2007, they moved to New York City. On July 10th, 2007, Blake found Duncan dead in their apartment of an apparent suicide. A week later, there were reports of a man walking into the ocean outside of Rockaway Beach in Queens. Several days later, a body was recovered. <clears throat> recovered and it was Blake, also ruled a suicide. Turns out they were being followed and harassed, allegedly, by a group of Scientologists 
because they had gone rogue and had been part of a 27-page chronicle about the group that was about to be released. Uh, so their story was actually dramatized on an episode of Law and Order. It's a very sad and strange yeah. story. It's a, that's even more depressing on top of the depressingness of this album. Right. And it just, uh, yeah. But a lot to it there. A lot wait. to it. Dun-dum. Oh, God. Ripped from the headlines. <laughs> Who was the surprise guest star in that episode? Do you know? Was it John Mulaney? I don't know. We should have looked it up. Oh, God, I wish. <laughs> it would have been amazing. Uh, it's probably like Tracy Gold from yeah. like Growing Pains or something. <laughs> Your favorite B actor from <laughs> 1980s. So uh, the other interesting thing about this album is that there were hidden messages behind the CD. So on the CD sleeve, in the jewel case, if you took the plastic out behind the CD, there was hidden text behind that. So it was was uh, a Scientology script? It was Scientology I script. Knew it. Uh, it was Scientology, uh, how, how to increase your thetan levels. No, it was- Get uh, the E-meter out, Get man. the E-meter. No, it was uh, uh, lyrics from different songs, but depending upon which cover you had, depended on which lyrics you had in the back of there. Oh. thought that was pretty cool. I I'm like going to have to look. I still have that CD upstairs somewhere. Yeah, you'll have to take a look and see if it's uh, open. I think see. I only kept that one because it says promo copy on it, and I'm oh. like, wow, that seems different. Yeah. Maybe I can retire off this. Oh, no. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Oh, no. So, uh... Let's talk about it. Let's track by track. Track by track, this biatch. So it opens with uh, the golden age. Yes, it does. And the very first note that I have written down here is, uh, good Lord, I picked a depressing melancholy album. (laughs) Again. That's similar to what I have. (laughs) So one of my favorite things is when a record tells you what it's going to be right from the very beginning. There is no messing around. This is a somber record. I I feel like... There will be, if there haven't been already, endless comparisons to Nick Drake. I know, oh, yeah. I know, I will make several. Beck doesn't feel as lost as Drake, but he's certainly heartbroken, and it shows. The first chorus of the record: "Oh, these days I barely get by. I don't even try." Not a lot of room for ambiguity there, is is there? No, no. This song, it's it's very very simple, but it's also super super deep, and it sort of meanders. I mean, the, the rhythm to it and everything to it kind of meanders back and forth, and it's not going anywhere fast. And that's kind of the whole point. So reading these lyrics is clearly about what the rest of the record is about, his heartbreak. But what I find interesting is the lyrics utilize that common denominator of stress or something that's happened in our lives that we can't quite quite process or deal with so we move get out on the road yeah there's something so comforting about movement when in crisis we used to do it with our kids all the time when they were babies if they were really upset wouldn't stop crying or whatever you just throw them in the car seat take them for a ride and it calms them down uh seems to be what he's going for that calming process something to take his mind off the devastation the best example of this is of course the drummer for rush neil peart uh when his wife and only daughter passed away within a year of each other he Got on his motorcycle for nine months, rode 65,000 miles, just driving and driving, trying to leave the past behind him, chasing something, but probably just chasing peace. Uh, Beck seems to be doing that same thing to some degree. And just like you said, meanders back and forth, and he's just chasing peace for a moment. It's a treacherous road with a desolated view. There's distant lights, but here they're far and few. Yeah. Yeah, he's out in the middle of freaking nowhere, just like trying to escape. Musically, there's all really there's a lot of stuff, great stuff going on. It's got this great chimey Glockenspiel part that's super nice. Yes, and it gets a little like funky electric towards the end. Towards too. the end, it's a, the song's got like a ton of echo. It's got this real super cavernous sound, which continues to lend itself to that isolation feel. Like we're out in Vegas, I can go 20 minutes to the east 
and be in Lake Mead National Recreation Area and there's nothing around. Totally isolated. You're in the desert. You're nowhere. You gonna bury a body out there? Shut up. Maybe. <laughs> it might be you. Oh, oh shit. Also, this is the lowest I've ever heard Beck in his register. Yeah. His vocal register. It is very low. It's very deep. A couple other things that, that we're going to start to build on here. Towards the end of the song, there's this really high pitch whir, like that builds and builds to the end of the song. And it sounded really familiar to me. It didn't occur to me why until I was able to see who the producer on this record is. Nigel Godrich. Uh, he had gained considerable fame for producing Radiohead's OK Computer. Mm -hmm. And that sound is used pretty prominently on that record. It's very noticeable. And there, there's some other things on this record that's, that remind me of OK Computer. Perhaps a little bit too much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's what, that's what I have to say about that. Paper Tiger. Yes. It's the next track. Uh, do you think this album is about a breakup? I'm not entirely uh... sure. I'm going to have, <laughs> I might have to dig a little deeper. So knowing, uh, knowing what we know about uh, Beck's background, his father being a famous composer, this uh, the strings in this song are just fantastic, uh, and, and they come back through throughout this whole album. They're tasty over and over and over again. And I know, I, yeah, they're just great. Got some I mean, tasty strings in here. Here's a quick little sample of them Ooh. in this song. something about layering an electric guitar or an electric bass with strings that makes me think Bollywood every time mm. I hear it. Yeah, I, get I, that. Don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just a sound that's common in, in older Bollywood movies or whatever. Every time I'm just like, wow, yeah, this is like a, a, a very Indian subcontinent sound. This, the strings are awesome. That bass just rocks it out in that song. That bass is so sweet. So right, right away at the beginning of the song, you get the connection to Radiohead with the way Godrich flows the previous song directly into this one. Yeah. there's It's seamless. I like it. But this song kind of harkens back to the way Beck used to sound before this record. It's very low-key, very mumbly with his vocals, but in a lower register. The guy in this song, obviously Beck, is really taking it on the chin in this relationship, and you can feel it. Do you know the meaning of uh, a, a paper tiger, Kyle? I do, but only because I looked it up for this. Well, it's a person or thing that appears threatening, but it's actually ineffectual. Right. Term refers, uh, well, it was popularized in the 40s and 50s uh, by Chinese leader Mao Zedong mm. uh, when referring to the United States' use of the atomic bomb. It was used as a scare tactic, but most likely would never be used again. A paper tiger, when you get down to it. It's like, scared of it, but you're not going to use it. Yeah. So, reading into the lyrics makes a lot of sense for Beck. So lines like, looking through a broken diamond. Feel like he's relating to his broken engagement. Realized it was just a paper tiger. Something easily destroyed and fragile and not nearly as strong and stable as he thought it was. And it's gut-wrenching. Oh, yeah. When you listen to it. Uh, do you have more about this song? 
uh, just some some clips or uh, some lyrics, excuse me. Okay, go ahead. Sort of tied back into the the first song. Uh, same thing that we were talking about. Uh, there's one road to the morning. There's one road to the truth. There's one road back to civilization, but there's no road back to you. <laughs> Continuation of that same theme of driving around, kind of just meandering and trying to figure it all out and realizing that you can't get back together with the person you just broke up with. There, There is a progression that's going to happen on this record, but it's very, it's a snail's pace. Mm-hmm. He's not getting there very quickly, and it, 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 it's a gut punch pretty constantly. Doing the research for this song, I kept seeing this referred to as Beck's Glass Onion. So that's a song huh. by the Beatles yeah. off the White Album. And I listened to the Glass Onion, and I don't get it. Uh, it's certainly lyrically, it's certainly not lyrically like Paper Tigers. Glass Onion is filled with Beatles kind of self-referential stuff, and Lennon's yeah. whole point of that song was to send people down a rabbit hole. He was so sick and tired of people reading so much into Beatles lyrics that he basically drenched this stuff in quote-unquote symbolism, but all of it meant nothing. Musically, I don't get it either. Typical distorted John vocals, pretty up-tempo number, quite unlike Beck's song, so I don't know if the reviewers that I read were just uh, trying to work Glass Onion into a review because it's a cool phrase. Could be. But either way, this review, this reviewer says, <laughs> nuts to that. <laughs> I wonder if it's because the the concept of like uh, just the the phrase paper tiger paper tiger glass, glass onion, onion they sort of they feel like sweet it would tomato be a de, a descriptor and then a noun paper tiger glass we just onion. play in Mad Libs here yeah, the reviewer know. just got like a Mad Libs book out and like give me an adjective <laughs> uh, 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 yellow I'm gonna say yes. good I think uh, you're I think you're on to yellow something. asparagus. Oh, good. That, that's exactly what it is. Yield yellow asparagus. I guess I'm doing fine is the next track. Man, this is such a great song. Probably my favorite song on the record. Uh, that pedal steel guitar is yeah. so wonderful. The chord changes throughout the song are exquisite. There's really nothing about this, this song that I don't love. And lyrically, man, it is so bad for him. Yeah. I agree. I think this is Beck at some of his finest. I agree. Throughout his whole career so far. Just talking about all the things he's lost. The moon doesn't look the same. He can't hear the songs of the birds. Jewels aren't as bright. And there's just so much sarcasm in his resignation. Don't worry. It's just tears I'm crying. It's only you I'm losing. Sure, sure, sure. I'm doing fine. It's only lies that I'm living. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, yeah, you know, every, every line in this is just... Don't you worry about me. I guess I'm doing fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Don't don't it's, worry about it's it. It's not it's not that big uh, of a deal. That pedal steel guitar, by the way, is uh, by a guy named with the best the the most tasty name I've ever heard in my entire life, Smoky Hormel. Smoky Hormel, which sounds just like a delicious uh, meat platter. I believe you know, I smoky had Smoky Hormel a, meat platter. I believe I had a can of Smoky Hormel for uh, dinner Ooh. this evening, or that may delicious. have been Manwich. I can't remember. My <laughs> Manwich. Uh, uh, my Manwich. My manwich. Who ate Sloppy Joe? Uh, there's a great video for this song, uh, directed by Spike Jones. Really brings home the meaning of the song. This is definitely one of the highlights of the record. Uh, we are going to take a break right now, and we'll be right back. Kyle, yes. Have you ever uh, felt like you wanted to try something new? Like, oh boy. like cooking or basket weaving. Yes. But you didn't know where to start. Mm, that's, like I a, do usually have trouble starting. Like you needed a roadmap or a guide. Yeah. A lot of people feel like that about jazz music. Ah. 
So, you know, they don't know where to start. It seems too complex. Do I start with the fusion or big band or the legends? I, I know I feel like that personally. It is a very deep and, and rich subject with a, a lot of places you could start. Right. So, well, we here at Audio Judo have something mm-hmm. to fix all that. And with the help of our guest host and jazz spirit guide, Chris, we're going to help uh, try and help you navigate the treacherous waters of listening to jazz. Uh, we will be premiering a new spin-off podcast series called Audio Judo Does Jazz in late April. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to be fun, interesting. I'm looking forward to it. We're also recording that bad boy exclusively with the new podcaster kit from AKG. Yes. Chris doesn't have any experience in podcasting, so we wanted to make it as easy as possible for the person who doesn't have studio equipment or editing headphones or anything like that. So this podcaster's kit is perfect. He gets a cool mic, set of headphones, software, bingo, blango, he's podcasting. Yeah. All that means is more competition for us, so we have to bring our A-game because everyone is going to be podcasting soon. The only thing I didn't like about it is uh, since Chris is using it, I can't steal it. No, you can't steal it. That's unfortunate. So, uh... Well, it's a shame we had to send it to Chris. Yeah. He's, he's going to make the most of it. Yeah. Like I said, look for that series in late April. Yes. Because we are super jazzed about it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> dad wordplay. Lonesome Tears is the next track. More great strings from Dad. Oh, yeah. That build up to the chorus right in the middle. I mean, listen to this. Oh, let's listen to it. sound a little weird to you okay but the beginning of the song that wasn't the beginning but no. the beginning of the song i get so much eddie rabbit from this song it's ridiculous hmm. eddie rabbit this, this song smacks of late 70s early 80s ballad without the overproduction okay like at the beginning but then when it gets to the chorus though holy crap it sounds like the never-ending white lights so i'd like you to put in the show notes uh the warning song called "The Warning" by Neverending White Lights, and let people hear what I'm talking about. It's eerily similar in parts. Also, all the noise that happens at the end of the song and that weird kind of cacophony that yeah. goes on near the end. Again, more Radiohead sounding stuff. Holy. Yes, uh, and I think it starts to get a little lost in itself. This is it's a really good song. I just don't know that it needed all that, unless you're going to tell me that it was all his emotions all getting mixed up and spilling out, but I think that's a reach. Um, This album starts to have this dependence on digital noise and sounds and stuff that seem better placed on other Beck records. Yes. And I think it could have been left off of here. Uh, That being said, this record needs a breather. Mm. You know, when you have loud records and after a while it becomes too much and a softer song is like a nice palate cleanser. This needs that too, just in the other direction. It needs a punch of energy because right now it's like, it's killing me. 
Yeah. It's killing me. It kind of doesn't really have that, though, does it? No, it does not. It just kind of keeps going with Lost Cause. No, yeah. Well, well I'm not even there no, yet. No, you're not even there yet. No. All right. Well, then it just keeps going with whatever you're going to talk about. Lyrically, there are some things to impact here. Namely, there is a line in the song, Lonesome Tears, They Ruin Me Every Time. One word in there, ruin. And I, found, I found this very interesting parsing of that use online. Quote, we get introduced to the Scientology term ruin here. It's oh. integral to cult practice, the concept of finding one's ruin, essentially being analogous to pushing someone's buttons, finding the thing that makes them the most vulnerable or is the sorest of the sore spots. Beck would have known this term since childhood, since he was raised in Scientology, so it's not surprising to see it pop up here. Huh. I don't know what the validity is to that. If this is just someone kind of like breaking it apart so much in the fact that he used the word ruin and, and he's a Scientologist and there's some sort of connection, but kind of hard to get around. Yeah. It's a good song. It is. I just can't get past the fact that it that's, sounds like Eddie Rabbit. That's the crazy part about this whole album. They're all good songs. There's nothing on this album that I'm like, God, that's a piece of shit. Everything on here I like. I don't think I ever want to listen to again. Oh my God. Well, we're going to get there. We'll, get there. It, we'll that's, get there. Lost cause. Lost that's, cause. That that's what be, this podcast just became. Right? <laughs> oh, it starts out with that weird backward sounds over an acoustic guitar. More of what you were just talking about, how yeah. there's sort of that weird electrical noise, kind of garbage stuff starting to crop in. It's not getting much brighter for Beck. No. Good Lord, it's so down. Yeah. And this is, this, I I, I do love in this song, the circular melody. Yes. Because it just, it, it, you could get lost. If this song were on repeat, it's one of those ones that you would never be able to be like, where the hell does this begin and end? It's, oh, it's very bizarre. Yeah. And he released this as a single. What a downer. Yeah. Good Lord. It's like, a oh, single. Hey, the new Beck single is... Oh, Not a very successful one, uh, but still. And it's brutal lyrically. Uh, and he's just given up. There's so much isolation in it. And I know he was writing about L.A. when he wrote, wrote it, and it's such an indictment on the vanity that's there. The line, they know your secrets, and you know theirs. This town is crazy. Nobody cares. Yeah. Everybody's so self-involved and into themselves that they know you're hurting, but no one has any time to waste on you when they're so worried about mm. me. There's an excellent me, 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 me. <laughs> There's an excellent video of this song as well, done completely in Photoshop, which is mm -hmm. very cool. I encourage everyone to check that this out. This is the one with the effigy falling from the sky. Very cool and they, video. And they reused one of the... Uh... The cover that you will probably see if you listen to this on iTunes or Spotify, the pink cover yeah. with the, they look like almost like finger paint. Yeah, it's like things. paint strokes across his face. Yeah. Um, they used that on a giant effigy of Beck falling from the sky for that. And it's a, it's a very interesting music video. You know, you, you see what I'm saying about having a palate cleanser here? Yes. Some sort of ear refresher? Yes. Because if you are with him on this journey, you are not doing very well. No, you are starting it to get... It's heavy. You're pulling out the vodka. And morose. Like, oh, take a shot of this and see where this goes. Despondent and a thousand different adjectives to explain the abject misery mm. on this record. So I remember really liking this record. Like I said at the beginning, I really liked this record when I heard it. And I haven't listened to it very often since that time, and I think I know why. So while I do love <laughs> depressing and blue records, this one is just exceptionally sad. Yeah. And it's hard to get through in a sitting. You know, having to listen to it several times to get into it for an episode is really yeah. hard. And I had a tough time, like, sitting down to write my thoughts out because you feel for this guy. And it's like, God, this, damn it, this sucks. It, it's funny to me that for some reason, breakups and heartbreak and, and the emotions surrounding it 
seem to produce some of the best artwork that humanity has ever produced, but God damn it, are they hard <laughs> to look at and to listen to and to, to, to unpack and be like, why did this person do this? Well, because someone ripped their well, heart out through their butthole, and <laughs> and now they're sad and depressed. Like someone oh. said, uh, someone compared this to they kind of made this Beck's Blood on the Tracks. So it was Dylan's okay. Blood on the Tracks record, which is kind of confessional record and stuff like that. Which you know I can hear part of that, but they were interviewing Bob Dylan. And someone said, you know, someone asked him about this record. And he said, a lot of people tell me they enjoy that record. It's hard for me to relate to that. I mean, people enjoying that type type of pain, it doesn't make any sense, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, exactly. Like you go to this and you're like, right, you know what? I think I only want to hear one song. Because <laughs> if I listen to any more, <laughs> I just can't do it. End of the day. End of the day. Uh, West today. I love Beck's little speech impediment. Do you? I love it. Uh, I don't know what it is. It crops up in so many different songs. Oh, I had another good example that just cropped, that just disappeared from my head. Uh, in this song, he says, rest today, but it honestly sounds like he says, West, West today. <clears throat> and it is just, it's, I don't know what it is. It's, it's, it's almost perfect. Excuse me. So he's walking this fine line between all these folk artists. You know, there's some Dylan on this record. There's definitely some N Nick Drake coming up. Then there's this one that he seems to be channeling the sound of Gordon Lightfoot. Hmm. All right. I'll, I'll agree with that. That mumbly voice he has using throughout the record is a little more understandable for the time being on this track. And maybe, just maybe, he's turning the corner a little bit. If you read read the song he, or you know read the phrases he uses in the song like stranded had to act like i didn't even care which all seems a little bleak but i think there's a glimmer of hope coming in the realization he has at the end of the song when he says quote you owe nothing to the past but wasted time to serve a sentence that was only in your mind in your mind he seems to be knowing that sitting in this de despondency is letting her own the situation yeah and he's just penalizing himself for something that she did, it's time to move on, bro. And after all of this, we are still only halfway through the record. <laughs> but uh, it's bleak. In your mind, uh, like you just said, ends out the lyrics to this song. And uh, it's all in your mind is the name of the next track. This is funny a, how that happens. It's a weird little choice to start what is essentially the second side of the record. Mm -hmm. So this song was written in 1994-95. Yes, this is the only one that was not specifically written for this album. Appeared on the record, One Foot in the Grave. Apparently, when they were recording Sea Change, Ni Nigel Godrich heard Beck strumming this song between takes and exclaimed, We have to record this! <clears throat> and here it is. And it's way stripped down from the original version. And lyrically, it fits okay. You know, uh, I didn't know. When when I listened to this, this is an earlier track. Um, when I listened to it, and um, when I sat down to write my stuff for this record, I kind of lumped this track and the next track, Round the Bend, together because they both sound like Nick Drake songs to me. I would agree with that. I was very surprised that this was from an older album. And on top of that, in reading about you know uh, reviews and things about this album and people saying, oh, this is from uh, uh, One Foot in the Grave, and it's strikingly different. And I was like, oh, all right, well, I'll have to listen to both of them side by side. Yeah, no, it really isn't. It isn't um, strikingly It different. is different, for yeah. sure. Um, this doesn't have that lo-fi feeling that uh, the original version did. Uh, and there's a little bit more added to the end of it. Yeah. But I wouldn't classify it as strikingly different. No. That seems like a weird um, way to classify it. Because I like lumped them in, I'm going to talk about both of them anyway. 
But the first song, It's All in Your Mind, reminds me of something off of uh, Drake's first record, Five, Le- Five Leaves Left, with its like really shimmering guitar, kind of understated, muted string parts and stuff. The second one also has some nice string arrangements, but it's wholly darker mm. and reminds me so much of Riverman off Five Leaves Left or Free Ride from Pink Moon for more on that record, please go listen to our episode on Pink Moon from 2019. Yes. But there are a ton of similarities there. Like he's evoking the spirit of Nick Drake in these songs. And if you're looking for a muse for your melancholy songs, look no further than Nick Drake. <laughs> here's, a, here's a little clip. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, so you can uh, judge for yourself. Repeats the phrase I wanted to be nine times. Nine, nine times. times. But uh yeah. I think uh lyrically the second song, uh Round the Bend is Round the Bend, yeah. It's pretty clear in the title. It's possibly a metaphor for how he's feeling at this point, getting to a place where he can move on from the heartbreak, but certainly not represented in the sound of the song. I've heard a lot of comparisons to Donovan for this song. Okay. Uh, but I feel like that's coming from a reviewer that may have been unfamiliar with Nick Drake. Because <laughs> <laughs> Donovan only had one kind of sad bummer folk record. Um, these two songs, but especially the second one, could have easily been inserted on one of Nick Drake's records and pass. Hmm. Without a problem. Pass muster. What's next? Around the Bend. Around you, the bend. you got some stuff yeah, about uh, Around the Bend? Because I just again, talked about it. Another uh, another road term, Around the Bend. Yeah. Uh, obviously referring to the idea that this is where he starts to get around the bend from the recovery from this breakup. This has a really like world music-y feel to it. Uh, there's some interesting sitar parts in here. Uh, right. There's some deep bass uh, that's really like plucked, and uh, uh, it really like pulls the song along. And uh, I think that this song really begins to reflect the sound that Beck had before, mm. like him sort of going back to his folksy roots. Yeah. A little bit. And Not as much as he he would later on in right. other albums, but sort of. Mm. Uh, but uh, I get that. Yeah, it really is a, a turning point for this album. It starts to go up a little bit from here. Not much. Not much. But uh, kind of, well, a little that's, bit. That's kind of what I address here. We get to Already Dead. Yeah. Let's go on to it. Already Just when dead. I thought it was safe to go back to the record. Not so fast, my friends. <laughs> He's not done yet. Uh, it's like the song is plucked out of the late 60s or 70s and some of that really sad folk vibe to it throw in the near sitar yeah because i don't think it is a sitar it's a near sitar it's, one, it's probably an electric sitar uh lyrically is a nice metaphor at work there and there's still some hope that he's getting better he seems to be letting the memory of her die she's already dead to me now 
time wears all the pleasures of the day. It's like he's actively still grieving for this relationship, but he's beginning to make some progress. It's a lovely song, but I'm telling you, I could use something upbeat at this point. It's exhausting what's, to listen to it. What's this. funny to me about this song, too, is if you plucked all the lyrics out of this, it would be a very upbeat <laughs> like acoustic track. But <laughs> with the lyrics in it, it's just another... You can't. Oh. 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 Sunday Sun. Not my favorite song on this record by far. That's funny because this is my favorite song oh, on this record. Oh <laughs> my gosh. I think he's trying too damn hard to be from that era. Now, that kind of esoteric lyric he is known for makes a comeback. Yes. But instead of the cool lo fi thing he normally does, he washes this in like this discordant minor key, throws in these high pitch reverb soaked guitars. Uh, no. And for some reason, I love it. Whatever he's trying to do with his vocals on this song is just weird. I don't mind mumbly, but this is just <laughs> too much for me. And lyrically, it's a bit of a stretch. If it's trying to fit in with the rest of the record, it doesn't seem to marry up too well. Jealous minds walk in a line and their faces jade the strain. I'm sorry, what's that now? <laughs> That's some good old uh, Beck uh, mumbly. Their faces jade the strain first of all so let's listen to this little clip and uh, see what you think for yourself You know, somebody did just realize the the clips that I picked for this album are not uh, focused on the lyrics, hardly at all. String strings, uh, fake sitar, and uh, I think the third one was a little lyricy. But uh, oh my gosh, what does that tell? What does that tell you about what I enjoy? But uh, I, I don't know. I, I actually really like this song. It is not. This is the song. Let me rephrase that. I like this song outside of this album. This is the song Fair from enough. this album that I'm like, if I'm going to listen to one song, this is the one that I pluck out. Although I will agree with you, it is very much a fake 60s hippy dippy, right? You know, it's got oh, a flower child movement late bullshit. 60s pastiche. Yes. Like, what the, the, the faces jade the strain? What However, the hell does that mean? So while we are talking about uh, Beck's uh, 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 unusual lyrics, mm. I have to bring up uh, mm-hmm. one of my favorite Beck connections. Okay. Have you ever seen the uh, the TV series Futurama? What? You always go to Futurama. I always go yes, to Futurama. Of course I, love I have. Futurama. It's one of my favorite TV shows I know of it all is. time. It's incredibly well written. But somebody, either on the production crew or on the writing crew, was a big Beck fan and a big Donovan fan. Because there's an episode where they, they make fun of Donovan. Not make fun of. They have Donovan is in the, basically in the episode and it's uh, integrated very well. But there's several Beck references throughout the whole series. It's not integrated very well. Uh, there's uh, uh, one of the characters' names is Leela. Yeah. There's an episode where she uh, joins the army, but they're not accepting women in the army at the time. So she dresses up as a man to join the army. And somebody asks her what her name is and she says, uh, Lee, uh, Le Man, Lee Lemon. Lee Lemon. That's why you say. That's why I always pronounce her name Lee Lemon. All right. 
But there's also an entire episode about Beck performing, going on tour. But it's really? just his head in a jar. <laughs> of course it on is. A, on a uh, fake body that used to be a mannequin. But there, <laughs> but he can't. So they literally hoist him out on stage on like a crane. And then he sings. But uh, there's a part where somebody's getting away. And he says, Minion, raise my arm. And they raise the arm on the mannequin. He says, after him. <laughs> It's funny to me, but well, I, uh, I'm uh, sure it's hilarious. One other part, uh, they make fun I, I of how visualize his his ridiculous lyrics. Uh, they're writing a song and they say, uh, "Hand me the Bectionary." Oh, uh, the, there they, should no, no, be one. No, no, the rhyming Bectionary. <laughs> <laughs> there should be one. There should be because Jade the Strain doesn't mean anything to me. No, uh, nor does it mean anything to anybody else. No, his lyrics are ridiculous, but I kind of love them nonetheless. Uh, I also am of the feeling that he should have ended this record a song or two ago. That's possible. I think I am pleading at this moment for a devil's haircut type song. Please, for God's sakes, break the cycle. It's just getting tiring now. I'm just I'm getting exhausted by it. So you didn't care for the next track, Little One? Holy crap. (laughs) Radiohead much? Yeah. This Okay, so this just seems like Beck had no idea what he really wanted to do with this song, and he let Nigel Godrich take over. And I think this is a very interesting exercise, because I never made the connection years ago that this was the same guy that produced OK Computer and Kid A. Mm-hmm. But it all makes sense now when you listen to it in context. The digital flourishes, the weird minor key brooding singing. This is Tom York in a lower register. You're damn right. <laughs> and it's a return to form with Beck's lyrics. Yeah. There's another reason that I thought that this should have ended a few songs ago, because he has lost the center and focus of the record. Yes. That emotional destruction. And while it was getting a bit tired by song seven or eight, it was the heart of the record. Now it seems he's kind of let his producer run the show and he just throws some of his his nonsensical lyrics on top of it. And it's unfortunate because it takes what is otherwise a really good record and it takes it down a couple of notches. I have always kind of wondered if... He, he, you know, the story is, oh, I had this breakup and then I sat down and I wrote all these songs and shelved them. I kind of wonder if he wrote the beginning of this album and shelved that. And then when they went back into the studio, he was like, hey, I have some other ideas. How can I incorporate these? They were a little too melancholy for my other work, so they didn't fit in other places. So he brought them back out for this as well. And they just kind of got tacked on the end here. It's possible. sort of a, to complete that narrative that we've been talking about where it goes down and then he sort of starts to recover, and it's they're just these are the ones that sound the happiest. So because they recorded this in two in. weeks, they yeah. recorded like a song a day. That yeah. would, like they were they were purposely like jamming it in, and giggity, you, you feel you feel like you just you you lost its way. And it, one thing that we didn't spend too much time talking about for this record, at least not for me, uh, is how good the musicians are. We really haven't oh, yeah. mentioned them. Uh, Smokey Hormel, you know, Justin uh, Meldel. Johnson on bass, Roger Manning, and Joey Wolronker. They're all first-rate, top-notch musicians, and they don't get a lot of praise because this is a Beck record. But, yeah. but you know, you got to yeah, give it up for those guys. I just feel like he's a little lost at this point in the record. Well, good news. Yeah? There's only one more song. Side of the Road? Side of the Road. Another road. So while you have he's been... He's pulled over. What? <laughs> Side of the road. So while you've been at it for upwards of 50 minutes, I guess there's no point in changing now when you are so close to the end. Yeah, why bother? Sparse instrumentation and hushed vocals, really very little resolution. And I think there is kind of a realization that this happened. He's not going to undo it. And there's a little modicum of 
acceptance, that line about letting it pass along the side of the road. You, you have more about this song? Not really. Okay, I, was just saying, I like the little hard-plucked guitar in this. I do but, like uh, it, too. But man, this was difficult. This was difficult, Kyle. I'm I know. It's a good record all in all, but it's so bleak and sad. And unlike a lot of the sad albums that we've covered like Disintegration, yeah. Uh, there's very little hope at the end of it. And it certainly doesn't leave me wanting more. No. Uh, I <laughs> Go ahead. There's another podcast that I listen to, uh not to turn everybody uh, I know. I know. I don't just exclusively listen to this podcast. I, you know what? You just shut it down, uh, Randy. We're done. We're done here. I can't, I can't go on. <laughs> oh, this is going to reveal so much about me. It's called uh, Theme Park. Uh, yes. I just drew a horrible blank. Theme just, Park. Just one second. Okay. I'm sorry. It's called Podcast the Ride. And it's these three middle-aged men who talk about theme parks and uh, uh, theme park rides and stuff. Because I'm that kind of a person, Matthew. Nerd. I see your judgmental eyes over there. <laughs> but funnily enough, one of the episodes, uh, I'm kind of going through their back catalog. And uh, one of the episodes they were talking about the other day, they started talking about Beck. Funnily enough, like literally 15 minutes after I had been taking notes for this episode. Huh. And they were talking about, they were like, oh, sea chains. Yeah, you can only listen to that once and then never again. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And that's essentially, yeah. So I, I was really glad you suggested it. But unless I'm in a mood to beat myself up, I will probably not listen to this again for a really long yeah. time. And that's unfortunate because I think it's wore out its welcome over the last 18 years or so. And it's kind of cathartic to put it away and be okay with that. Yeah. Like. I don't need to hear this anymore, for God's it, sake! It's one of Beck's greatest albums. Don't listen to. Don't it. listen to it because <laughs> unless it have you been have you broken up on? Have you going through in a terrible emotional heartbreak? Because if you are, boy, do I have the album for you! And see, I think that might be part of it too. Is that neither one of us have gone through a terrible emotional heartbreak recently? No, so but, it doesn't. Uh... But, but would you have to go through several to listen to it more than once? Like if, oh. like I keep getting. Get broke up on every eight months. I just keep whipping this album out. And, I just keep uh, listening to Sea Change shit. every time somebody breaks up with me. Like I'm with my girlfriend. Have you heard the song Lost Cause? All right, we're done. And yes, and this is through. Perfect. All right, well, I'll start the album over then. <laughs> Let's start right at uh, Golden Age. Here we go. Oh, I'm driving, and I'm driving right. in the desert, and here we are. It's like a giant oh, loop of crap. Oh, boy. And now I'm driving off a cliff. That's Sea Change. That's it. Uh, so uh, I don't know whether we can recommend somebody listen to this or not. I suggest that if you do, uh, don't do it when you're depressed. Right. Uh, or Maybe sad. small chunks. That eh, might be a good way Maybe to listen, listen to it. the first three songs and then go listen to like Mika or yeah, something yeah, happy. You, you know, something bright and poppy. Go listen to Odalay. <laughs> yeah, or that if you're a big Beck fan. But, it, you know, if you liked us talking about this and ripping on Beck's Sea Change or any of our other podcasts, uh, we have additional material at our Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash audio judo. Yes. Plenty of great stuff on there. And it would be a great big help to us as we are out of work technicians in Las Vegas and we have no damn idea when our shows are going to open up again if ever <laughs> it's pretty sad so any little bit helps if you have a spare three dollars a month to give us for quality content and other extras we would appreciate it yes we would uh go so ahead also we want to uh we want to hear from you uh so 
Honestly, I am very surprised that uh, with the amount of listeners that we have, that nobody ever talks to us. That's because you hate us. It's because you all hate us. That's fine. It's because we're sad now because we just listened to Sea Change. So now we think you all hate us. It's probably Randy. It's, it's it probably. I'm going to put a note film. in your file, Randy. Uh, but yeah, uh, please do get in touch with us. Tell us how Sea Change made you feel. So that we, uh, so that we just hate ourselves even more for introducing <laughs> it into your lives. Uh, you can do that. Uh, email is the quickest way. Info at audiojudo.com. We're also at facebook.com forward slash audiojudo, uh, at audiojudo on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, if you are interested in getting some artwork of your mm. favorite music visualized, please check out our partner, Volumetric Design at volumetricdesign.com. There is a link on our website, audiojudo.com, uh, for some really unique pieces that you can add to your man cave or your she shed she or shed. the garage for all I know or care. They are super cool pieces and fully customizable. Use the coupon code audiojudo for a discount there. Oh, we hope you will continue to stick with us. We have episodes coming up on Steely Dan, Elton John, 21 Pilots, and Stevie Wonder. So keep coming back. Lots of great stuff on the horizon. Hmm. And uh, he gave you all our social media. Other than that, we'll talk to you guys in a couple of weeks. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. A belch is nothing but a gust of wind coming from the heart. But when it takes a downward pass, it's usually called a fart. (laughs) My grandma used to say that all the time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.